Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. Check, check, one, two. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for sharing and participating. Thanks for looking out for the people around you. Um, I think about the last time I felt my need for Jesus. I got a knee injury a few months ago playing volleyball, of course, which my wife curses. When you get married, the girl in your life, they don't feel bad for you when you get injured. They just get angry because you can't do housework. So just to let you know, it's... That's what happened. So I didn't want to wear crutches because I felt a little embarrassed. Um, But I remember parking right downstairs at the Nordstrom parking lot and having to make my way to the Apple store. And I had my crutches sitting in the car. Dr. Ken provided them for me. But I was like, I'm not going to use them. And so I just started walking across the parking lot into the double doors of Nordstrom. And then 10 feet in, There's this thing with my knee during that time where at a certain point, it just gives out. It's like I maxed out my steps, and that's what happened. It just gave out, and shooting pain came up and down my leg. I was like, man, I really miss those crutches. They're not that far away. They're like 50 feet. So I turned to get them. It was like a 20-point U-turn. And then I limped my way to the double doors, 10 feet in 10 minutes. I got to the end of the sidewalk, and then there was this cliff called the curb. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to cliff jump (laughs) this curb at Nordstrom. And I finally get down, and I'm in so much pain that I'm considering crawling on the asphalt to get to my car. I'm like, that might be less painful if I just crawl. But I looked at a speed bump, and I thought, I don't want to be a second speed bump. (laughs) So I walked really slow. And then I finally got to my car. I sat down. I'm like, God, I need you. (laughs) I need you so much. I got my crutches. And I just thought about all the times that I had been in crutches um, and felt my need for the Lord. You know, I, I was invincible as an eighth grader or ninth grader until I tore my ACL for the first time and laid in bed for a month recovering from surgery. I felt invincible just a few months ago until I hurt my knee and I limped uh, on crutches to the Apple store, which was like six miles into the mall. When you think about the last time you felt your need for Jesus, were things great in your life? Like, were were you celebrating something? Was everything going well? I bet for most of us, we felt our need for Jesus when things were difficult, when we were uncertain, when something broke our timeline or our story, and that's when we went to him. 
When we're looking at this passage this morning, I'm going to read Luke chapter 6, 17 to 19 for you. But I want you to notice, and the author wants you to notice, who is gathering around Jesus? Who is trying to be his disciple and be a part of his kingdom? He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. These are the people who gathered around him, those who were diseased, those who were demon-possessed, seeking healing from the Lord. And it is in this moment that Jesus, I think, gives a template for his inaugural address on what it means to be a part of his kingdom. Who is let in to the kingdom of God? And you can think about this from an American perspective. Who do we allow to cross our borders? We're supposed to be a country who um, allows people who are in danger to seek asylum here. Um, we're thinking, but then the people we really want are the rich, right? The people who we really want are people in Taiwan who are smart and are able to do, uh, create semiconductors as engineers and scientists. We're just trying to bleed them into our country. Now think about the people who are entering into God's kingdom. In verse Chapter 6, verse 20 to 21. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. He's talking about the people who will become his disciples and enter his kingdom. He's welcoming the poor, the hungry, and those who are weeping. In verse 24, it says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. There's been a lot of ink spilled over these passages. This is where, again, Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and he starts a discord here in Luke as well. He's setting the stage for his kingdom. Here are two popular interpretations that uh, we're, not, we're not holding, but I want to give them to you, and maybe you've heard it preached in the past. One of the popular interpretations is that Jesus desires us to be poor, weeping, and hungry. These are considered good attributes or virtues that we should aspire to. So being a good Christian means that you're impoverished or that you're weeping. But it doesn't make sense because Jesus then lifts those who are poor into um, being part of his kingdom. He lifts those who are weeping into laughter. So these are not permanent states that Jesus desires us to be in. The second view is spiritualizing hunger, weeping, and poor. And so especially in the Matthew passage, we see people who are, it's described as hunger, hunger for righteousness, or poor in the spirit. But then you think about the immediate audience that Jesus was speaking to. And my interpretation is that even though there is spiritual hunger there, meaning that they've not attained it, that they're spiritual zeros, as um, 
Dallas Willard would put it, or there's in spiritual destitute, that he's not just speaking about their spiritual condition. Because on the next slide, look at the people, again, that he's speaking to. These are people who fully understood what it meant to be impoverished, weeping, and hungry. These are people who came to him who weren't able to walk, who were in constant sickness and uncleanliness. These are people who are demon-possessed, the, the lowest of the spiritual totem pole. So when Jesus is speaking um, these beatitudes, he is simply stating and describing what is happening. It is the poor, hungry, and weeping that are coming to him. He has open borders, but those are the people who want to be a part of his kingdom. Those are the people who see a need for Jesus. And it is the rich, satisfied, and popular that are rejecting him. We're going to do a little bit more legwork here in the next slide. It says that he's looking at his disciples um, in the verse. And what does he see around him? He sees people who are hungry, poor, and weeping. This is a different tagline than in the Matthew passage. In the Matthew, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. So he's speaking categories. He's speaking in third person. But I think the Luke passage is a, is a first draft or a raw version of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think it's an abridged version. Again, there's uh, scholars that debate this. But here, I see him looking at the people right in front of him, his disciples, and he's pointing at each one. He's speaking to each person that he knows and he loves. I think about preaching here versus guest preaching. When I'm guest preaching, I'm kind of shooting at the dark. I don't know the people I'm talking to. I don't know if what I'm saying is relevant. But here, I'm speaking to people that I've, for some of you, I've known for years. For many of you, you've shared your stories with me. And I look around the room and I see faces that I love and I care about. And that's how Jesus is using uh, the phrase, blessed are you. He's speaking directly to his disciples. He's looking at them. He's thinking about Matthew, who might not be impoverished financially, but spiritually he's destitute. All the people who looked at him looked away or with disdain, even his parents for being a tax collector. But remember how Jesus saw him, how he gazed upon him. And he says, Matthew, blessed are you. You're poor spiritually and socially, but yours is the kingdom of God. He's thinking about people who are in poverty, who are trying to eat at every meal, and sometimes they go hungry. The same Matthew that he brings into his kingdom is the person who taxed his own friends and family 70 to 90%, depending on the scholars you read. The Romans are taxing people up to 90%. Imagine 90% of your paycheck disappearing out of force, being taken away from you. Wouldn't your family be in poverty as well? So he's looking out at James and John. And he said, blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. They're not thinking spiritual hunger. They're thinking about the meals that they skipped. Blessed are those who weep, who have a broken story. Mary Magdalene was delivered from demons. Some of them thought she might have been a prostitute. And in her brokenness, Jesus comforts her. 
and says you're blessed because you will laugh. What does blessed mean? There's a few, again, Greek and Hebrew words. The most popular one is speaking about how God has blessed us. It's a transaction between God and his people. He's blessing you maybe with, with the birth of a child or for Abraham, descendants and land. But this word is not the popular word blessed. It's actually person to person, peer to peer. It has nothing to do with God. And it's, it's a way of salutation. It's just saying congratulations. Hey, congratulations on your dance performance. Congratulations on getting on the basketball team. Congratulations on your new job. It's simply saying congratulations. So let me give you a very um, loose interpretation of this as we apply it in the next slide. If your rejection and poverty has led you to Jesus, congratulations. He will care for you. Like something better is happening here. If your hunger leads you to follow Jesus, congratulations. He will satisfy your body and your soul. If your sorrow and tears from a broken story, right? You thought you'd be married for the rest of your life. You thought you would have a kid by now. You thought you, thought you would have a boyfriend or the job that you always wanted, but your story was broken. But it's brought you to Jesus. Congratulations. He will comfort you and give you a deep joy. If your addiction has led you to need Jesus, congratulations. He forgives you and will set you free from all sin. If your mental illness and demons had led you to surrender to Jesus, congratulations. His nearness is perfect peace. But the opposite is true as well. If you look at the next slide, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. What does the word woe mean? Um, for our purposes in this text, woe is a warning for future disaster. Woe is saying that something bad is coming. But here I see it as a caution. I see it like we're going hiking and you're about to step off a cliff or for me, a curb, and someone's like, whoa, whoa, be careful, right? There's, it's unsteady ground. But in the world, when are you most steady? It's when you're rich. When are you most secure? It's when you're laughing. And Jesus is saying that in those times, we should take the most caution. I have a short commentary from uh, not Dallas Willard or, or Comer, but GPT Chat says, that very accurately, by the way, um, the woe statements are directed at the weak can be seen as critiques of potential pitfalls and spiritual risks associated with the wealth, with wealth. Jesus understood that wealth and abundance could lead to a sense of self-sufficiency, pride, and a misplaced trust of material possessions rather than in God, right? It's so easy to worship money. It's so easy to assume you're okay because of your wealth and for other people to assume that as well. Additionally, the woe statements highlight the social and economic injustices that often accompanied wealth disparities. The people who were wealthy in the Jewish culture were probably rubbing shoulders with the Romans. Jesus expressed concern for the marginalized and oppressed in his teaching, called for the fair and just treatment of all people. In many instances, the wealthy of Jesus' time were associated with exploitation, 
hoarding resources and neglecting the needs of the poor. This whole sermon, I'm actually just reading off of GPT chat. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm a robot. All right, you'll replace me in two years. Next slide. If your wealth led you to self-sufficiency and has taken away your need for Jesus, woe to you, because you will never be truly rich in the Lord. If you are satisfied with your comforts, morals, and achievement, and don't need Jesus, woe to you, because you will never be truly content. If you have found happiness in your girlfriend, boyfriend, kids, jobs, hobbies, outside of Jesus, woe to you because all people and things fail and only Jesus remains. If people love you because you are popular or beautiful or charismatic and that's enough for you, woe to you because you did not receive the greatest love in Jesus. I think about our youth, I think about going to high school and everything I wanted was people liking me, being popular, getting on the basketball team, uh, making my parents proud. And there were moments where I achieved those things. There were moments where I got to dab up everyone down the hall. And, and it was then that my spiritual life was most in danger. It wasn't when I was roaming the halls alone. It was when I was popular that I was most in danger. That's what Jesus is saying. I wonder if we recognize that. I wonder if we see that in our lives. Can I go one, uh, can I go one slide down? So uh, one slide up, I'm sorry, I messed you up. So I'm actually kind of there right now. I got my daughter, so I feel really happy and satisfied. And then there's Levi taking Taekwondo. And it's the best show in the whole world. It's <laughs> Levi doing what he's told for 35 minutes. <laughs> I would pay like thousands of dollars. They only charge a few hundred, but I would pay thousands to Master Yoon to see Jesus walk on water and Levi obey commands. <laughs> Our church is going really well. I have an amazing staff team, guys and, and women that I want to run with for, for the rest of my life. And I, I don't know if people are complaining, but I haven't heard it for a while, so that's been nice. <laughs> <clears throat> that's why we have live stage pastors. Complain to them. <laughs> Isn't it ironic that this is when I need to be the most careful? It's sobering, and I forget it often. Is that where you are? There's things that you looked forward to and you have. You bought your house in 2017 for 50% off, right? You got engaged. Here are some of the things that I reflect on in my wealth, in my laughter, in my popularity or being liked by others. Um, the woe, the caution of idolatry. Idolatry. Am I forgetting God when things are good? Do I have enough good things in my life where I'm starting to forget God? If you look at Israel's history over and over again, things are good. They forget the Lord. They worship the good stuff, and they get sold into slavery. 
another judge comes to deliver them. It's in slavery that they cry out to the Lord. That's not what God wanted for them, but that's what keeps happening. There's a deep part of us that forget God when things are good. Is my identity and confidence on the wealth? Am I staking my life on happiness instead of the Lord? A woe of sin. Did those good things come at the cost of someone else? Are other people benefiting from my wealth, happiness, and popularity, or is it costing the people around me? Cautious woes of selfishness. At the end of the day, is it just about me? Is it about my enjoyment? Is it about me being happy? And just at the end of the day, the things that God's given you, is it, is it, is it building out pride in your life? Are you using it to judge the people around you? Are you comparing yourself with the person sitting next to you? Because that's where the wealth and joy came outside of God. If it's from him, then it will be for him. If there's a deep sense that what you got is from the Lord, then it will be for the Lord. And have you seen the things in your life serve God? When you think about your occupation, are you helping people who might not be able to afford you or who might be marginalized or who might be neglected? When you think about your social status, are your eyes only on the people who uh, everyone else's eyes are on? Or do you see the unseen like the Matthews? In your wealth, have other people felt rich? Um, the one example that I just want to put in front of you today, and there's many ways to do this, but the one example uh, I want to share with you is Royal Family Kids Camp. Have you heard of it? I don't know. <laughs> it's a last-ditch effort to get you to be a counselor. We have our, our counselor training today at 1 o'clock. You also get a free meal. And um, it's, kind of, it's where I see see the two populations coming together in the most visceral way. Foster kids whose stories are deeply broken. I don't know if there's a lot of more broken stories than, than kids being pulled away from their parents because of abuse and neglect and their home and life shattering. And I don't know of a greater story of wealth and laughter and joy than the church whose people and familyness comes into a space to embrace and become family to these kids. Again, there's a lot of ways to live this out, but this is what's in front of us as a church. We're going to camp in the next few weeks, and I hope that all of you see the blessings of God um, because of the invitation he has for everyone who's been broken. I have a quick video for us, and then we'll go into communion um, and discussion. For over two decades, Royal Family Kids has been confronting abuse and changing lives. They serve children who have been neglected, children who have been the innocent victims of every type of abuse imaginable. 
Royal Family Kids has introduced hope into the story of thousands and thousands of children of abuse. This is Samantha's story. Someone called to get me out of my house and I have no idea who it was. All I know is the police showed up at the door with social workers and caseworkers, and um, I don't know who called. And I was like, it was an angel then, you know. God was, was there with me and he was like, okay, it's time for this to end. And he made someone feel compassionate enough to call and that's how I was saved. If Samantha had not been taken out of her um, original home, she probably would have wound up dead at some point. And nobody would have known and nobody would have missed her because nobody knew about her. Samantha was considered to be the worst case of abuse um, in Greene County, Missouri. I was abused from five to eight. So at five, most kids don't remember a lot. But from what happened to me, I remember just about everything. Memories of um, what my dad's did to me. You could tell she had been an abused kid. She has lo had lots of scars on her body. Her hair was really messed up, very tiny, had been malnourished. I never knew um, what was going to happen, when was going to happen. So I was scared most of the time. Samantha had to use liquid soap if she wanted to brush her teeth. She had to eat on the floor. When she was thirsty and didn't want the parents to hear the water running, she took off the back of the toilet and scooped up water in the back of the toilet to drink. When I'd be taken to the basement to get beaten, I'd be like, am I gonna get out of here alive? So there's still times in life where like something happens or someone says something and it just like hits me and it's just like a slap in the face. When I first met her at camp, um, she never smiled. There was nothing happy in my life, so why would I need to be smiling for anything? By the end of the week of camp, she was smiling. We have pictures of her smiling, uh, which was just an amazing change. You know, it was the best week of my life, my summer. For the first time in eight years, I had fun, and I was treated like a normal kid. These were the very first of my life. I don't remember any time in the past where I was given a gift. She had never um, been swimming, she had never been fishing, she, just a lot of things that she had never done before. She was very eager um, to participate in all the activities. But these are the first where you're just extremely happy and um, 10 years later I still remember them. And this camp is important, it does change lives. We're, we're there to touch these kids but at the same time these kids touch our hearts as well. Samantha was just like on the, the edge of her seat, just waiting for the opportunity to come back to camp um, and to serve. I get to be a counselor for the first time and I am so excited. I cannot wait till camp. This is my chance to make a difference in their life. Never going to camp would completely have changed my life. 
you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be with the family I was, you know, that's where I met my mom. She fell in love with me there. I think a week can make an amazing difference um, in a child's life. If Samantha hadn't have gone to royal family, I just wonder, would she have the hope? Would she have the successes? Would she have the achievement? And not going to camp, would I still be bouncing from foster family to foster family? Um, would I have ended up, you know, on the streets, running away? Without camp, you know, life would completely be different. I think God saw Samantha, he looked down on this little girl, and I think he just, um, I think he has intervened. Um, she was a child that should have had so many difficulties, so, so many problems, so many disorders to overcome. And to look at where she was and where she is today, I mean, God's just done a huge work in her life. A lot to process there. Um, but what a privilege our church has to step into those stories in a few weeks. Um, there's a lot of great things out there but there's not a lot that we get to walk into and impact the way we have access to these kids. Like, there's so much more that God wants to do with your wealth and your laughter and your family. He wants you to bring it to others. He wants you to walk into those spaces and to invite them into this kingdom with a great king. I think about um, some of the needs we have over this next couple of weeks for the foster camp. Um, I texted some of the guys in our church because um, there's uh, more boys that want to come to camp than men that are willing to be counselors. So if you would consider that, um, we'd love to have you. Uh, just come to the training and then work out the details. If God closes the door, it's okay. And some of the guys I texted, I thought not that, I thought they would serve well, but I also thought this is like the best thing for you to do in your faith. Like this would, this would help you grow. This is what growth looks like for you. Um, if I didn't text you, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can also, no, I only texted like five guys. Um, you can also come to everyone's birthday. We have a big, a day where we celebrate everyone's birthday. A lot of their birthdays have never been celebrated. Some of them didn't know when their birthday was. And um, you could come just for a day and help set up, run booths, hang out with them. You could buy them gifts for that day. Maybe take your kids out to buy a, gifts, a gift pack for our kiddos. Uh, we need people to help bus these kids up and down the mountain. And it's actually a really tender space to sit with them at the bus, uh, have some conversations, keep them safe. But that transition to and from camp um, the going to camp is super fun. Coming out of camp, everyone's crying. The kids are crying. The teens who are helping are crying because they know what they're going back to. And like, everyone's crying. And so for you to be there to comfort them would mean a lot. You know, I think about Jesus um, as we take communion this morning. And he was comfortable. He was super comfortable. He was wealthy. Um, he was... He was happy <laughs> in heaven. 
And then he came, gave up his wealth, and became impoverished, lived in the ghettos of Israel. His father passed away, and he had to learn how to grieve that. He walked this earth with no home. And then he hung on the cross. He took his wealth and joy and comfort, and he gifted and extended it to us. If we're to follow our Savior, if that's, that's the model, what does it look like for us who have time and energy, who have resources, to say, <clears throat> to be like Jesus and to lay that down for someone else? God, thank you so much for dying the cross for us and showing us how to live. This is his body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of him. This is his blood shed for you. Take this in remembrance of the Lord. Jesus, I pray that we would follow you. That the hard things of life would draw us to you and we would get something better and be blessed. That the good things of this life would be laid at your feet and bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.